You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. Welcome back to Mining Stock Education. I'm your host, Bill Powers. Thank you for tuning in. And back by popular demand is Mark Zaret. I spoke with Mark about 11 months ago in which he laid out his investment philosophy and approach to investing in junior Canadian junior mining stocks. Uh, Mark has about 60% or so of his net worth that he's gained over the last few decades uh, attributable to junior mining stocks, but he's also uh, broadly invested in Canadian small cap stocks. So he's an expert at this. He's been able to make a full-time profession out of it to the point where people came to him asking for advice. So in addition to investing his own money, he is an advisor or an analyst uh, to a fund. So Mark, thanks for coming back on the show today to share your insights a little further. Nice to see you again, Bill. All right. Yes. And so last time we spoke, you mentioned that you don't get caught up in the hype of a bull market. And since we last spoke, the last 11 months would not be considered a, a, a bull. You don't get caught up in the hype of a bull market. And the last 11 months have not been considered in any way, shape or form in junior mining stocks, a bull market. So my question to you then is on the flip side of that, when you're in a bear market, how do you cope? What would be your advice for investors in the market we're currently in? Uh, well, you know, it's very different uh, for people in the small cap space uh, than it is for other investors, I would have to say. And that's primarily driven by the lack of liquidity. So I guess what I mean by that is if you were managing large cap stocks and you you woke up and you decided you wanted to be in 100% cash, you could probably do that by lunchtime because, you know, uh, they trade millions of shares a day and uh, you'd take your, you'd take your knock and, and you'd be gone. Um, in the case of, of small cap, illiquid uh, micro caps in Canada, especially, um, there's no opportunity to do that. Once the bids sort of dry up, once the market kind of goes into a negative uh, uh, direction, uh, you know, exiting positions becomes a pretty impossible type of situation. Um, so, I mean, not to say that it's not it's not possible, but you you know, you're going to be knocking prices down, and sometimes in some cases substantially. And so, whether you want to do that or not, it becomes it's it, so it does become. A trickier, it's a trickier exercise. Let's put it that way. Um, how do you manage your way through it? I think really um, you have to just do a, a thorough house cleaning review of your entire methodology, if you like, and decide probably position by position exactly why you're in this name. You know, how how did you get there, um, and and go accordingly. So just to flesh it out a little bit more. If if you got into a name for a trade, uh, say goodbye, just get out. You know, if the if the trade the trade is not working out, one of the big mistakes I think investors make is they hang on to their trades, and then they end up selling their good investments to pay for you know the trade that didn't work out. Um, we've all done that. It's uh, what's that called? Risk loss aversion, and so we've all been guilty of that. So I would say you know if if it's if a, uh, a position is in your portfolio and started as a trade. Probably the best thing is to is is to just get rid of those kind of things, free up the cash, take the tax loss, etc. Um, on the other hand, if you if you got into names for an investment, then I, I think once again, you know, this is, becomes an area where traditional thinking doesn't necessarily apply. So, in other words, we're all taught by you know many people, you know, don't average down. That 
a little bit of a theme, I guess, in the investment world. I, I don't know that it's true in, in our world. In our world, if, if your thesis is strong, if the reason you got in is, is a good one, um, then taking advantage of cheaper prices to me is the same as buying groceries on sale. You know, it doesn't, you're not going to, you're not, you're not scared away when, when things go on sale, you, you try and take advantage of it. So I think if you've had a good thesis, good reasoning for why you're in, then you just have to suck it up, you know, to stay with the names, try and buy them when they're on sale and, um, and hang tight. And it's not, it's not easy. There's absolutely no question about that. So it, when it comes to an exploration stock, you may like the thesis. And so the geological data is there. The qualified management team is there. But in this market, the cash may not be there. So in that scenario, when they might have to give away half the company just to raise a decent amount of cash, how do you go about uh, with an exploration company position in this market? Yeah, that's a very good point, Bill. Um, so let's we can try and start to break it down perhaps a little bit further. You've got a name, you like it, um, you like management, it still ticks all those boxes. Uh, you know, there's good insider ownership, uh, good share structure, a good project. If they need cash, um, that's problematic. Uh, that might push it a little higher on the list of what do I do with this name? Um, you either, you know, in, in some cases speak to management, find out what their plans are, um, you know, if if they really if if the boxes have been ticked, in other words, let's just go back and say this was a high insider ownership. They're not as they're not any more interested in diluting as you are. So they they're they're trying to avoid that. And and it, and once again, I think it comes back to that selective selectivity process. You know, so if they if they're going to resist, if they're going to sort of put projects, you know, um, slow them down so they don't have to uh, to raise all the better. If they do a big raise, you know, um, yeah, again, problematic. You know, that's that's a, that's another reason to consider moving along. How do you how do you compare the time we're in now to historical, you know, the last three decades? Is this one of the worst bearish times in the junior mining sector that you've seen? They always, you know, when when you're in the midst of it, they feel worse than the last one, and so on. Um, but if I really try and be objective about this, I think the very short answer is yes. This is brutal. Worse this than 2015, brutal. 2014. Well, let's put it this way. I mean, you could argue whether you know the, the venture exchange has an efficient um, system of of, of, of calculating um, the index average. But uh, if if you think they're doing a half decent job, then if you look at that, you will see that we're actually not that far away from the lows of two thousand and eight. So um, from that perspective, you know we're 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 down there, and valuations are. I mean, this is about as bad as it can get, and it might be worse next week. So who knows? You know, it's very hard to know when these things end. Um, but there are rational things you can do to to help yourself, sort of understand and and get through it i'll give you an example like well it just i mean again this is just in the mindset this mindset stuff so in the in the in the large cap world um we have a thing called um uh multiple compression right where 
you know, the average stock on the say on the Nasdaq is trading at 40 times earnings, 30, 20, 10. So so the multiples change based on on sentiment, you know, in in the in the market. Well, we don't have earnings, so we we can't we can't look at that as some sort of a of a guideline. But what we can do is is look at you know as, as sentiment as a compression as a as a, a force that's either compressed or expanding. And when sentiment is is this low, then you know that's kind of a good indicator. It's positive. And so how do you measure that? Well, try and find somebody who's bullish. You can't find anybody who's bullish. Um, trying you know every everything is sort of scraping down at at, at very low levels. And and so I look at that as a sentiment, kind of a sentiment indicator, of, for lack of a you know of a better way to to put it. Like just as a, another example, I remember one time watching a shell company, and in a very bad market, it traded at seventeen cents a share, and in a very good market, it traded at a dollar a share. But it was the same company with no asset. It had no, it had a listing. And, you know, we talked a lot last time about yep. shells. This was a sort of atypical. Shell listed on the exchange, a decent management group, very capable of doing deals. But that shows you, you know, this, the extremes that the, the sentiment in the market can, can uh, result in drastically different share prices. Identical company, identical balance sheet, identical people. That's quite a spread. So, you know, if you look at your six or seven or eight cent penny stock right now and you can say, well, what can change? Well, that's, that's the primary driver is sentiment. That will that will be the first thing that will bring some life back is, you know, when people start to feel a little more optimistic in your portfolio. Um, and again, you you advise a fund, you're an analyst. How much cash are you percentage wise? Are you positioning yourself with right now? You mean ideally or in reality? Yeah, both. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, I have a view that basically says that, you know, people don't, people shouldn't be paying fees for funds that hold cash. I, I don't, I just don't agree with that. So that results in a situation where you're, you know, typically fairly highly invested. And then every now and then, you know, you have a liquidation uh, event of hopefully a good thing. And so now you're, you know, so you're running a, a higher degree of cash and you're and you're sort of steadily allocating it. Uh, coming into this most recent down leg, um, I think we were probably somewhere around 15 percent cash available. Um, it's not a, high, a very high number. And uh, and to be truthful, I mean, we're buying stock every day. Because if you don't do it now, my question would be, when would you do it? Are you waiting for the bottom? If you're waiting for the bottom, you're going to miss it. Mm. In particular, in the small cap world, I mean, there's I don't I don't know what there's no terminology for this, but one of the things I do is I look at a port at a position and I say to myself, what would it take to replace that today? What's the, what's the replacement uh, opportunity? And in most cases, it's extremely difficult. So again, with the lack of liquidity, it can actually it works both ways. It can you know, harm you um, uh, on the upside if you're actually trying to build a position in something if there's no liquidity. So I look at a, a position where, you know, no name, maybe no names mentioned, but maybe we own a million shares of a company and it's trading 20,000 a day. Um, how do you 
you can't, you know, you can't easily replace that. So I, it's just, that's one way that I look at things that are perhaps a little bit different, but again, the conviction has to be there in front of all that to, to warrant, you know, having that position and wanting to stick with it and not being, you know, not being in a position that you have to sell it, which is another part of the, the trickiness of the whole thing, right. Is, mm -hmm. is to try and make sure that you're never, you're never in a position where you have to sell. So from that point of view, um, you know, you, you never really want to be leveraged in this in this world, and um, yeah, we don't we don't get very involved in that. Have you had any winners over the past eleven months since we last spoke? Um, wow, well, I'd have to have a and twenty percent is a winner in this market too. <laughs> well, I can't think of a name right now, uh, but I will tell you that I'm harvesting some some losses to offset some wins from earlier in the year um, because you don't, you know, it's ridiculous to, to pay taxes when you're, when you're uh, on closed positions, when you're carrying some open ones that you no longer believe in. Mm -hmm. So there weren't big gains, but, but they're being offset as we speak with uh, some losses. So there were no big, you know, there's nothing really big to talk about. They've been few and far between. In fact, 11 months, I can't quite believe it, Bill, but if any of your listeners um, have a, a higher net worth today as a result of their activity in the junior markets. Could you, um, can I get their, their contact? <laughs> I'd like to talk to them. It's been, uh, it, it's, it's been pretty rough. The only way you can do that is if you're over positioned in a stock that actually went up multiples, I think in the last year, because even private placements I've done six months ago, they're down 50% with, with no buyers. And now at this point, no sellers too. To your point, I'm not worried because I know that just a little buying is going to double the stock immediately. And then a little more buying can send this, the stock fourfold from where it is right now. Well, that's exactly true. And, and, and that's why I look at that, that, that sort of replacement cost or replacement you know, opportunity. And if it's very low and I still believe in the name, I'm I'm going to be holding it right through this. And I've seen this before. I've been here, you know, many, many times. I don't know that this, you know, when people say this time it's different. Mm, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. It, I don't think the world is ending. I don't necessarily agree with a lot of policies from our governments, but I don't think it's all going to end just. No, it's, 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 we're, we're going to go through. If you took a look, if you took a hard look, at, you know, the Dow Jones average, for example, over the last 100 years, you'd have to squint to find 1929. You know, you can barely see bear markets of the past. We, we, we tend to, uh, we tend to over, over time have rising markets. And probably, a, you know, one thing you could say about today is that nobody's saying, by the way, is that you could say this is a garden variety correction. Now, it feels a lot worse than that to us in our world of junior mining stocks. But in the bigger in the bigger world, we're just getting rid of a lot of froth that developed over, you know, the last 10, 12 years. And um, you know, we'll scrape scrape around for a while. We'll find a bottom and uh, you know, circumstances will lead to a recovery. And probably again, this will be hard to find on the charts in 10 years from now. So Mark, in light of those comments, you're more of a bottom up investor than rather than a top down. You don't start with the macro, you would look for the fundamentals of a given small cap stock. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. 
so in a market like this, there's lots of things to buy. Because if I'm not if I'm if I'm not worried about the world ending, uh, I'm seeing value. I'm seeing opportunity. I'm seeing situations that would not be where they were if it weren't for the macro. And so if you know if the fundamentals of the company are strong, again, you know, all prefaced with how do we define strong in in our world of you know mining juniors. Uh, but if if you come to the determination that they're strong, yeah, you you have to stay with the stories and uh, and um, you know if you can average down because this this is this is the kind of investment where averaging down actually to me in my way of thinking is is logical sensible. Can you share some names that you are averaging down in or holding on to in this market? Uh, one name I might mention as an example, um, the symbols F O R Fortune Bay. Uh, trades on the venture. The interesting thing here is they have a million share deposit in Saskatchewan. Million ounce, you mean? Sorry, yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, a million ounces in, in Saskatchewan at about a gram and a half grade uh, in open pit. Um, and they have another deposit in Mexico, which again is in the area of a million ounces over a gram. Again, another potential open pit. Um, so the company has two million ounces of gold um, in 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 two deposits that are. I'm not going to say they're you know they're they're going into production tomorrow. They're not. Nor will this ever be a production company. Those assets will likely get sold one day. Uh, but what are they trading for? What what's their value today? Their value is if you do the math on the share count and the share price, it works out to about six dollars an ounce. So if you go on on the net and you 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 do a bunch of you know, searches for what are ounces in the ground worth, you get all kinds of uh, different numbers come up. And of course, it's all, you know, political jurisdiction matters, all kinds of things come in. But the the low end, the low end of what measured and indicated, and I'm not even going to refer to uh, mention inferred because that's a category lower. If we just stick to measured and indicated, the cheaper stocks are usually mentioned around uh, the cheaper valuation, I should say, is mentioned around 20 bucks in the ground, and now it's in the ground. Um, so we're trading here at about a quarter of that. Um, company has a couple of million bucks in the in the treasury. Um, it has um, Dale Varen is is operating the company. He's formerly with um, Lundin, the Lundin Group, quite well known mining group. And um, what else can I say about it? Um, insiders own between 15 and 20 percent. Um, in fact, earlier in the year, Bill, there was insider buying at 70 cents, and then there was more at 60, and then there was more at 50. Well, I think the last price is around 30 cents, 27, something like that. So, And where did you get your position, if you don't mind sharing? Um, Average cost been, basis, approximate. It's been bought over a number of years, but I will say that it's now trading lower than our cost. Okay. So, um, because it's never, it's virtually never traded this low. I think it traded this low when it first was listed and uh, you know, we participated in various rounds and uh, but I, you know, again, I believe that at some point in the future, these, uh, these deposits will, will realize some value. So what's uh, the best thing? Way, about, sorry. What's the best way for a company such as this, if they have a couple million dollars in the bank, that's good, but it's not enough to really advance the project the way you'd want to see it. Would a rights offering be appropriate uh, as a large shareholder? Is that something you would be okay with? Or 
Can you share with us what your expectations are of management in this situation? Um, you know, I, I guess maybe as a result of patience, um, I I would be perfectly fine if if they sort of do a go slow policy. And that would be my chosen route. And lower uh, their salaries as a result of it if they're not working as hard, you know, charge the company less. And you don't drink, right, Bill? I don't drink. Is that true? Okay. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> Lowering salaries. All right. <laughs> uh, that, yeah, I don't know. Maybe. I mean, let's face it, that that rarely happens in, in our world. Um, but um, just, you know, not pushing ahead with, a, with a, a big drill program, let's say right now, because it would just create too much dilution. You know, they may end up doing a small raise. I would be fine with that if, if you know, again, some companies don't think that, slowing down activities the right way. Uh, rights offerings are great. Rights offerings are the most, I think, friendly manner of raising capital that that's out there. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm okay with a small raise or a rights offering or, but again, good share structure, good, good management commitment. Um, and lastly, on that one particular name is that they're also, um, Dale uh, worked for um, Denison, so he's very familiar with uranium in Saskatchewan, and they also have some uranium prospects. So, I mean, in fairness, they would not have, you couldn't attribute value to them right now, but um, they're interesting. I mean, they used to be owned by Kamiko, who let them go after, you know, they had their flood and so on. So have they told the market about those assets effectively? Because, you know, the uranium stocks were running pretty hard last year. Yeah, they did some uranium um, work this year. And the results were not uh, what was what was hoped for. But again, you know, they were early stage, and uh, as you probably know, you know, so many mines and so many, you know, very very great projects uh, takes dozens of drill holes before, uh, you know, before they they hit the mother load. So, Mark, I was listening to our last interview in preparation for this conversation, and one of the things that you stressed there, or that came across at least for me and you just said it again, is the need for patience. Now, when you talk about small caps, we want to make outsized gains. So we tend to get greedy and we tend to be impatient. And I don't need to look to anybody else besides myself. So as I'm listening to you talk with, with this company you just lifted up, what is your time frame for success? What are you willing to give management, you know, the time frame to make you money here? Yeah, I, I don't have a time frame. That could be shocking because this is not Ford Motor Company or GM. This is a small cap, non-revenue company, but yet you're willing to sit back and be patient. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I've been invested in this name since the day it was listed. It started out as a spin-out from a, a buyout. So it was a stubco. And, um, you know, when do you leave? I mean, you leave when management disappoints you in a big way or so much time has passed let's say there that the share count has gotten to a point where it's more difficult for them to raise capital there's some sort of signposts that are saying it's time and and that's until i see that i have patience and so i guess share count is one of them um, important people leaving the company might be another um seeing insider selling of course causes little hairs on my arm to stand up so gone you know, you don't want to see insider selling. You just, you have to just monitor those kind of things. As long as those things aren't happening, I, I have patience. I don't worry about time. Would you be willing to share another name? 
something that comes to mind um now i know you're called mining stock education but you do we do talk about oil and gas a little bit you, i like oil talk. and gas personally <laughs> well one name that comes to mind is is uh Tenaz energy the symbol is tnz trades on on toronto i can't find anything to really not like here um what do i start with uh this was a, a reorganization um that happened i guess about a year ago late late last year where a new management group took over a small producer and they did a, a one for 10 reorganization a one for 10 rollback they refinanced and they're currently looking for big projects um while we're waiting for them to to uh, find a big project um they're producing about 1100 barrels a day in canada um they earned uh three cents a share in the last quarter so they're you know they're positive they're ebitda positive etc cash flow metric what are they trading at so cash flow multiple excuse me um i i don't have the cash flow multiple at, at my fingertips but i i do have some other metrics that i think you might find interesting you know when the when the when the company got recapitalized management new management group put in five million dollars of their own money and if i if i do the rollback so i'll give you the so that was the equivalent of a dollar eighty that they find out they put up five million dollars of their own money and the stock is currently trading about a buck buck fifty so it's under their price it's under the net asset value by the man by the balance sheet of about 250 a share um but i haven't told you the most interesting thing about the company the, the company is run by um the same group that was very uh involved in building two very large companies the first being Baytex energy so the gentleman I'm 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 referring to here is Tony Marino. Tony Marino was with uh, Baytex from 2007 to about 2012, and in that period of time, the value of Baytex went from about one and a half billion to about five and a half billion. It was th this is a large company. It was a large company. Um, still is to this day. Uh, it was actually an energy trust for a good number of years, but then they reconverted back to a regular company when the government took away certain incentives on trusts um so and then he went from baytex to vermilion vermilion energy i think vermilion he was at vermilion from around 2012 um at that point in time it was about a four billion dollar company turned into about a seven billion dollar company and then um as is the case with a lot of oil and gas companies uh you know the whole sector went um in a bad way and vermilion's you know suffered along alongside of it um ultimately um tony left vermilion and his next uh project is tenaz so here's a guy who's been involved in building multi-billion dollar companies um running a company now that has a market cap of about 40 million um maybe just a little higher than 40 million with 20 20 million in cash on the balance sheet so that's why I say uh, with long-term debt, long-term debt, or no, 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 no. This is like working capital, twenty million dollars, not cash. Working capital. So it's a clean balance sheet. Um, that's why I say I'm I, I'm not as informed, perhaps, as I could be on the current project. But frankly, I don't really care about it. And the reason I don't care about it is because I'm there for what Tony will hopefully build going forward. So you know, here's a guy who's as I say, built multi-billion dollar companies in international projects, um, put his own money in at $1.80. We can buy it now at a discount. And um, so just on the news that this new group had come in, the stock 
hit a high of about 370. So it's drifted down from 370 to a buck and a half in this bad market. Mm. So that's another another uh, stock that uh, I can feel very you know comfortable in mentioning simply because I think it's I would determine it as a kind of deep value at this point. And one day the stock will get halted and they'll announce uh, hopefully a big acquisition. And um, and then and then the analysts will start talking about it and then the, and then it'll hit the news wires and then and so on and so on. Oh, and while we're waiting, they're also doing a share buyback. That's how confident they are in their own future. They're not worried about spending a bit of the money in the treasury on on their own stock. So they're buying and canceling because it is trading at a discount just to their current operation. Mm. Interesting. Well, I will be checking that out this afternoon after we get off this call. Any more names or uh, is that good for today's show? Uh, it's, it's up to you, Bill. I mean, I can How about one more name. One the, more? Yeah. My, my, my hardcore audience loves this. So. <laughs> Okay, well, here's something a little a little bit different. You know, I haven't been very involved in the lithium space, but we had an opportunity to get involved in a very early um, private round um, on a lithium company that's now gone public. Um, very unknown. Very, they haven't done any sort of awareness programs or any of that sort of thing just yet. Um, the company's symbol is GRD. It's grounded lithium. Um, a couple of the interesting things here. Greg Smith is involved, so he was one of the founders and builders of a company called Petrobacan, uh, which was grown from something like 2,000 barrels a day, ultimately to, I think it was approaching 50,000 barrels a day, became a very large company. Um, so the credentials are there for, you know, for Greg and, and having been able, having sort of done it before, so to speak. So uh, lots of experience in the oil patch. Um, well, grounded lithium is interesting because there's a new space or at least a new technology that's opening up. And it's basically called DLE, which is direct lithium extraction. So lithium is either produced by mining or it's produced in South America, mostly through um, ex not extraction, but uh, what do you call it? Sun? Yes, I know what you mean. The, the evaporation? Evaporation, the, yeah. yeah, yeah, sorry. So, so those are the two primary uh, ways that lithium um, are produced. And they call this it a brine, is, right? Lith the the lithium. brines, right. Yeah. The brines. And the brines, by the way, well, so there's some environmental issues around the brines, and there's also a fairly low recovery rate on brine. Um, all this leading to the development of a new, of relatively new technology called DLE, which is direct lithium extraction. Um, there are a number of different um, companies working on different extraction processes. Some of them are very advanced. Uh, there's there are groups in China that are actually doing it at scale. Um, it's a bit of a complicated area, um, but there's I think our bet is basically that that uh, DLE will become um, a much bigger um, area of investor interest going forward because of its potential to actually displace the existing uh, methods of producing lithium. And so grounded lithium has a project in Saskatchewan where they've become aware, as many others now have, that there are liquids that they were coming across through the process of producing hydrocarbons that were actually rich in lithium. And so there are several now, um, but they're all, you know, relatively early stage lithium brine companies uh, in Canada um, and mostly in Saskatchewan. And so that's what their project is. Um, it's, again... Uh, there's some interesting features regarding the stock, I would have to say. So when they went public, which was only just a few months ago, 
Um, the insider group is locked up for three years on their escrow program. The people that were involved in the private are 18 months. We are part of that. Um, and um, I think there could be a very interesting future for, for this technology. And it, it could be, uh, you know, as it develops, it will either be a trade or it will be an investment. It's a little too early to say. But I think we'll we'll have to judge it by you know how the how their reservoirs uh, prove up, which they're in the midst of doing, and how the technology can be applied in their particular case. So is it more of a technology play, even even more so than a bet on lithium? Yeah, there's a technology aspect to it, a hundred percent. Yeah, um, but I I would say that. Um, DLE is beyond a science project. I mean, you know, it is being done successfully um, in a couple of instances. So, but yeah, you know, it's, it's not unfair to say that there's technology involved here. Mark, when you're talking to CEOs, uh, this is a conversation I was having with a friend recently, and you're asking the CEO, what is coming down the, the pike? You know, what catalyst can I look forward to? And sometimes they don't tell you specifically because they can't, but then they kind of make all these illusions and basically lead you to read between the lines like, hey, you don't want to be selling your shares, wink, wink. You mm -hmm. know, it, it's not the specific thing that they see coming. My question to you, because you have three decades at this, when you get that wink and a nod from a CEO in a private conversation without them disclosing the specific coming event, how many times on a percentage basis has what they alluded to actually occurred or was that just a means of getting you to stay with the company and not sell your shares if you follow what i'm trying to communicate here yeah i do okay i follow it quite well my answer is kind of succinct <laughs> i consider it meaningless <laughs> in fact in a way i consider it a red flag okay uh, you know if you're ever on the phone with with um anyone who's sort of on the IR promotional side of things and and you're dealing with a stock price that's already say it's up 20 30 percent and you've got that nice bullish formation on the chart and they tell you that there's a, a promotion coming what that translates to is it's happening now now is the time for you to consider an exit if you like you know it, it's it's yeah my my experience has been to really not not pay attention very much to those kinds of indicators and but even more so you know if somebody tells you what's you know that there's a big awareness program coming no it's happening now you're part of it but what about an acquisition not just an awareness program like if they're like we got something coming we're talking to different companies just you know hold on to your shares you know you have to take every uh, they're there's no free lunch, really. So, you know, if you're if you're being told anything that's even remotely insider information and and highly bullish, I, you know, I just I, I just makes me very cautious. I don't I don't get excited by it now. Yeah, I mean, maybe the average person would think that that's a good reason to buy the stock, but I might s suggest that they might be down 10 or 20 percent, you know, two or three months later. That's just my humble experience with with being told you know oh wait you'll you know you won't believe what's coming okay all right so when yeah. you're talking to a ceo what are some of your best non-traditional questions that you ask a ceo 
you know, because for those that have looked at junior mining stocks for any period of time, there's a general template that's out there that you can go through, but non-traditional questions for you that really get to the core of what you're wanting to learn. Of all the things I've done to try and make this work, um, this business, probably the most valuable was bits and pieces of study in the area of understanding humans and psychology and you know fear and greed and et cetera, et cetera. If you if you can actually understand what makes people tick, I think you 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 have a bit of a leg up in this game. And so, you know, to answer your question, I mean, if you're sitting across the table from someone, I I think there's ways to read people, you know, so I think you can, you can learn what is is kind of um, something that is bullish versus bearish or, you know, exciting versus dangerous. Um, And they're, you know, in some cases, they're subtle. Um, But I think, you know, uh, I, I, I like to I like to be able to think that you can develop an ability to read people by their just by their behavior. And so I don't know if that's a very good answer to your question, but I I try and use those sort of skills to, you know, to understand the posturing that goes on in a meeting, for example. So Um, it's the intangible. Yeah, it's somewhat intangible. Um, Now, in terms of tangible, I guess one of my things I often will say in a meeting is what keeps you up at night? Like, give me the reasons why this won't work or potentially not work. And the answer that you don't want is, oh, there's nothing. We're, we're good. If you, if you get that as an answer, I suggest, you know, immediately exiting the story. This is dangerous Uh, because anybody who's realistic, you know, and, and, and knows that there's, we're all dealing with odds making here really right so there's always a chance that uh, that something doesn't work out so again that's just another bit of an intangible but i like to i like to ask you know what uh, what keeps you up at night what could go wrong and and if you get a good answer to that i think it builds confidence actually so before you go i know our last interview was cut short are there any more resources you'd like to share with my audience? Uh, you mentioned uh, Ink Research last time, and I believe Stockwatch is two resources that you consult. Are there any more resources you would like to share? Yeah, I, I remember that we chatted about about that afterwards because I I felt like oh god there were there were a bunch I could have mentioned then I uh, either didn't think of it or we ran out of time. Oh, just getting back to Ink for a minute. Um, I don't think I I got around to mentioning the fact that they have a blog area. Um, on their site that has some really good resources and they have there's one there uh, a blog called power players and i specifically recommend that that people read that because it basically has about 100 120 odd articles of as as it sounds power players people who have really are the movers and shakers of the world and 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 you know their accomplishments and you know some of the stories that they're involved in and so on and um yeah, so get, getting educated on that list is is a great resource. Uh, another one that comes to mind—I don't even think I uh, I mentioned it last time at all—but it's a it's a funny little program called Chart Smart, and it's really quite unique. Uh, it's an end of the day charting program, but it offers the ability to filter like no other 
There is no other piece of software that's anything close to this. And it really applies to the junior mining world. And so um, aside from the fact that you can search for any, you know, if you can think it, you can you can search for it. So example, for example, like, um, you know, uh, stocks that are trading within 5% of the low of the year, um, all the technical indicators, Bollinger Bands, MACD, all the, you know, all the standard stuff. But you can also do a search on, on a phone number. So for example, if you're dealing with a junior miner, under the summary, it'll it says shared phone numbers. I don't think there's any other database like this anywhere. So you can click on it and you can find how many companies are being run out of that same office because they share the phone. So again, it's just a, it's a funny sort of quirky program, but it's got some really cool built-in features to it. So I use that, I use that a lot. So for example, at the end of a month or whenever, whenever you get around to doing it, you can set up a filter and and search for, you know, uh, mining stocks that are, you know, trading at at their low of the year and a market cap under X and a share count under X. So you want to find, like as we were talking last time a lot about shells, you want to find all the 2 million share shells that trade on Vancouver, for example, on the venture. You just do a search for uh, share count under 2 million and you get a list and you use that as a source of, of doing due diligence. So that's chart smart. Again, I'm not affiliated with any of these guys, but uh, <laughs> but nor, I'm nor I'm, am I, and I, I don't own any of the companies that uh, Mark mentioned, but I will be looking into them. Um, oh, one one last quickie. Yeah, Google. I mean, we all have a Google account, right? Mm -hmm. But if you if you go to Google.com/slash/alerts, which I don't think a lot of people do, mm -hmm. it comes an alert page comes up, and you can get so you can set alerts for anybody, a name. I could do a search on Bill Powers, right? Google <laughs> and um, any mention of you on the web in any news release, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, comes into my email. So it, it all, it's, it's, it's a neat kind of puzzle, Bill. You know, you go to power players, you find out who the movers and shakers are, you put those names into your Google search into your, uh, and, and you get the, you get the emails. So whenever, you know, and will 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 Google alerts like alert you to specific filings in Canada? Like how specific is it, or does it have to be a a news article with a certain viewership? Uh, it won't alert you to filings. No, it's more um, it's more press releases and general articles that they scrape through through the internet. Um, most filings are sort of behind a, a paywall, I think. So that becomes a slightly different matter. Well, Mark, before but, you, oh, go ahead. Sorry, but I, I actually just very recently became aware of a, another site called InvestorX.ca, which is a smart CDAR, if you like. Oh, words, really? People, yeah. It, again, it is it is a pay site, but it's I think very modest, and you can go in there and you can do keywords and you can um, get alerts on different things. And so it's, it's CDAR with brains, if you like. Yeah. That's not stuck in the 1990s, right? Exactly. <laughs> Microsoft DOS or whatever that program was that we all used to use. Right. So that's a bit more on the resource side. I think that covers a few more of the toys. Well, before you go, I always give my guests uh, an opportunity to have more people follow them. So do you want anybody to follow you? If so, where should they go? I, I, is no is no a, a bad answer no, here. You can do one interview a year with me if you want moving forward. 
Well, let's do this again next year and we'll see how those see how those three names perform. Okay. Yep. How about that? That's a great point. Well, I, I, last time I mentioned, you know, this the fund that I, uh, I I'm involved with is uh, it's called Terras Holdings under the Spartan Fund Management banner, and uh, you know people can look that up. If they like. Excellent. Well, thank you for your time today, Mark. Thanks again, Bill. It's always fun. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10-for-1 returns as there is in small-cap and micro-cap mining stocks. Concommitment with that, if you don't do the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really, you could do really, really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident and just do your work as best you can. Do your very best, but don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited, and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents, but it requires commitment. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on miningstockeducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.